Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. Amongst other positive aspects of real estate, depreciation is a phenomenon that makes it like no other investment. Especially with recent changes around bonus depreciation, you can depreciate 100% of certain costs in the first year of ownership. This provides an exceptional opportunity to demonstrate big paper losses year one. Today's guest, Yona Weiss of Madison Specs, the largest real estate tax firm in the country, has a great way of simplifying how depreciation and cost segregation works. So today we have with us a uh, cost seg, cost segregation expert. And so we're going to have a slightly different conversation than most where we're going to really get into the tax advantages uh, of owning real estate around depreciation, you know, ways that you could really optimize your cash on cash return and make real estate even more effective. And so uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with Yona Weiss. Yona is a cost seg expert with Madison Specs, also host of his own podcast called Weiss Advice Podcast which I just love, and also a real estate investor himself. And so, Yona, welcome to Street Smart Success. Thanks so much, Roger, for having me on the show. Happy to be here. I'm glad to have you. And you're, you're around the world, is about as far away as we can go, probably about 5,000 miles away in the holy city of Jerusalem. So I saw that you went to a school in San Diego. And so are you are you from the West Coast originally or like where do you hail from? Yeah, that's correct. I grew up in Southern California, um, San Fernando Valley, to be more specific, and went to college in San Diego, believe it or not. But uh, most recently have have re- relocated to work, uh, living the life working remotely for uh, a company based in Lakewood, New Jersey, uh, actually the largest national conservation company, but based in the East Coast. And I'm living uh, where I want to live in Jerusalem. So that's, that's exciting for me. When did you, when did you move there? Um, it's kind of been on and off, but um, I don't even know how many years. It's been, been a few years, been uh, five years or so, but I've been fully focused on working remotely from here. Got it. You were ahead of the curve on the remote work, uh, the remote work thing. Well, my right. the last year has been uh, <laughs> nothing's really changed for me. You know, yeah, it, it, that's been been the norm for you. So, so my wife uh, lived in the valley uh, with her family, and her her mother still lives there. Where, where in the valley? I have to ask. Woodland Hills. Okay, yeah, she's, they they lived in uh, Northridge, not too far away. How did you? wend your way into uh, the real estate business? It's kind of a long, curvy uh, road that, that took me here. I was actually a teacher for many years and um, love that. It was kind of part of my personality being a teacher for, you know, since as long as I can remember many different capacities. But about five, six years ago, I, I got involved in real estate. I was just looking for something more. I was looking for something else. Obviously, income of a teacher is not the, the greatest and uh, wanted to find some other ways and means to support my family. I have six kids, so it's kind of been, uh, you know, it's always challenging having growing family and trying to support everyone. And real estate just seemed like the right fit for a lot of reasons. I had a lot of friends doing various things in real estate and just kind of found my way. Started off doing uh, some commercial mortgages, doing some residential brokerage. And 
did some fix and flips. One thing led to the other, basically trying, trying my, uh, you know, get my feet wet in whatever area I could. And as a teacher, I was just soaking up all of the information and all of the the different ways that people can be successful in real estate, both on just in the industry in general, but uh, more specifically on the investing side. And that's, that was what interested me the most. However, you know, at a certain point I was like, okay, well still need the investing thing is one thing that can be great for kind of long-term growth. But, uh, you know, I was living already at that point in Israel and wanted to do things remotely. Investing remotely is was challenging try it out it really can only do it passively uh that's the truth and so it's been um you know to do something more active i i wanted to you know have some sort of job something involved deeply involved in the industry and that's where i kind of stumbled upon uh if you will more i mean it's just in my opinion it's divine providence that i met up with this company madison and um the rest is kind of history i mean i'd love to get into how, how i got involved in that but i really know much about i don't have a background in taxes or anything like that and you know they're the experts and i kind of stumbled upon it and was able to use some of my skill sets to um you know become successful in this industry to take a couple steps back just out of curiosity and sure. nothing more what did you teach um taught a lot of things mostly religious studies so um you know jewish law and um, you know Talmud, uh, things like that, Bible studies. Did you teach at a yeshiva? At yeshiva is correct. Yeah, that's right. So it's kind of like a higher institution uh, education, like post high school, you know, similar to college, but it, you know, much kind of smaller classrooms. And so when you you kind of uh, figured out at, at the distance from Jerusalem, you could really only as an investor talk about that for a minute. It just wasn't practical to be active at that distance, and so the only way to do it is passive. And so I guess my question is: Is that what you've done? Is you have you made some investments in some passive vehicles? Yeah, I have. To be honest with you, it's you know there obviously is real estate everywhere in the world, and it's kind of it's you know for every person to figure out what they're good at and how you know I went through a lot of that even in in Israel trying to find how I could be involved in real estate and how I could invest here. But you know there are different rules, there are different laws uh, regarding mortgages, regarding taxes, all kinds of things that make it more difficult to invest here and actually make money. The the way that people make money in Israel is usually uh, through through development and ground up development is is a lot more difficult. There's a lot more uh, bigger learning curve to get there. I tried it out. Uh, I tried my hand at it and just realized that um, I was much more fit in the American real estate for so many reasons. And, and one of them is the tax advantages, as we'll, as we'll talk about, I'm sure. And so that's kind of why I decided to to move, you know, just to be involved on the passive side. Um, and so yes, yeah, so I have some passive investments. Okay, and so. Uh, that all, you know, makes a ton of sense. So what do you do then? You know, what what is the typical engagement that you have with clients at Madison Specs? And maybe tell a little bit about cost segregation and, you know, kind of what you do. Sure. I mean, cost segregation and what I do, I'm working in the, in the business development side. So I just spend a lot of time just teaching people. I found that, you know, just using my my skill sets as a teacher explaining to me, I found the biggest block to people not using cost segregation was simply they didn't know what it was and they didn't know enough about it. And unfortunately, it's a tax related strategy. However, 99% of accountants cannot do it because it involves an engineering component to it. So essentially what, what cost segregation is, is an advanced form of depreciation. 
Okay, so if, if you don't mind, I'll take a step back and just kind of explain what depreciation is for our listeners. If they, you know, if you don't know what that is, you've owned real estate, basically any investment property or business property, you know, any property essentially besides your personal residence, you're allowed to take a tax write-off, a tax deduction of the entire purchase price of that property minus land. Okay, so land doesn't depreciate, but whatever's left, you get to literally take that as a tax write-off over a long period of time. Okay, for commercial properties, it's over a 39-year period. Residential, including multifamily, over 27 and a half year period. That's called your depreciation deduction. And not to be confused, that depreciation sounds like a negative thing, right? Somebody's going down in value. It's, it's really just, you have to understand, it's a borrowed term. For tax purposes, depreciation deduction is based on the concept, the principle that things are going down in value. However, you can take this deduction from your property, even if it's a, you know, a very old property, your depreciation deduction starts the day that you purchase the property. Okay. So, that's what depreciation is in a nutshell. It's one of the greatest tax benefits um, of real estate investing that you get to literally take, you know, reduce your tax liability by, you know, a, a, you know, not insignificant amount. However, there's a strategy, what we call cost segregation, which allows you, it's a, really it's a cash flow strategy is how I like to look at it. It's a way to pay less taxes. Okay. So cost segregation literally means we're segregating the cost. We're breaking down the cost of the property into different categories, okay? We're things that depreciate on a, instead of a 27 and a half or 39 year schedule, meaning taking a little bit every single year, you can actually front load a lot of that potential depreciation deductions into the first year or into the first five years. And so you're able to, to front load that, take huge amounts of tax deductions early on, which lowers your tax liability to, you know, essentially to zero. And therefore the money that you make from your investment properties it can be not even taxed. You know, I, I had invested in some, uh, you know, multifamily complexes last year. And, um, you know, so I put, for example, into one $100,000. And in my income, well, in, in the, and they also closed at the end of last year. So I hardly had any income. And in fact, I, th- I don't think I, had, yeah, hardly maybe like 2,500 bucks. And I got like a $50,000 loss because of cost segregation, which was, you know, very helpful because it offset some other income, which was just, you know, really surprised me in a, in a, obviously in a very delightful way. It was basically half the amount of my investment. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's exactly how you described it. You put money into a property, even as a passive investor, and you can get a, a large what you call a loss, right? It's a paper loss. You're not actually losing money. <laughs> you're making money and you're able to take these tax deductions to lower that taxable income and to offset your income. So you're paying less taxes. Now, if, if you take it a step forward, so let's say the property sells five years from now. Now, on the one hand, you have to pay the piper. You have to basically pay the taxes. You effectively, and, and I'm, I'm making this as a statement, but it's really a question wrapped in a statement. So do I not have to then, let's say it gets sold six years from now, arbitrary number, but let's just say that happens. Do I then not have to pay taxes on that $50,000 at that time? So there's a couple things kind of packed into your uh, statement slash question over there, right? <laughs> and I'll unpack it if you don't mind. There's one of the main benefits here of cost segregation is the time value of money, 
Okay, so that means we're taking these tax deductions early on and you're able to use the, the benefit of having these tax deductions, not pay less tax or pay zero tax now. Now, what happens when you sell a property? When you sell a property, you have a tax called capital gains tax. Everyone's familiar with if you make any money profit, you pay a tax on that amount that you made. There's also a tax on the sale called depreciation recapture tax. Okay, a lot of times it's um, misunderstood that it People think of it recapture means I now have to pay back everything. No, it's you have now a tax on the amount of depreciation taken. So yes, you took advantage of those deductions earlier on, but you're not exactly, as you stated, paying the piper because you're not paying back necessarily everything. First of all, you have a tax and taxes, as we just learned a few minutes ago, are tax liabilities. There are strategies like cost segregation to actually lower that. So having a tax um, bill and you know, having to pay taxes are two completely separate things. And I think it's something really important to keep in mind with this strategy. Um, and I'll clarify that with, uh, with an example in a second. But one thing that is clear is that you have your taxable income, right? Your, your ordinary tax rate is usually higher than what that depreciation recapture tax rate is going to be later on. So besides the fact that you have that arbitrage of, uh, let's say the, recapture taxes at 25% and your ordinary tax rate may have been at 30 or 40% early on. So you now you made the difference during those years besides for the time value of money and obviously inflation, right? is like two, 3% a year. You're making money in the interim by using your own money. Okay. Um, but I want to just kind of go a little deeper into kind of more advanced strategy over here. And again, this is not, uh, you know, tax advice. You got to speak with your accountant about this, but make sure that you know that you have possibilities. If you own more than one property, okay, and you are a real estate investor who is continuously investing year after year in, you know, another property, maybe not every single year, but as, as time goes on, you keep reinvesting. And that's one of the advantages of, by the way, parenthetically, of using this tax benefit the more cash you have, the more you can reinvest, right? You, instead of paying Uncle Sam, you can now use your own money to reinvest that. Because you could you could perpetually have losses against the income. I'm, exactly. You, you know the vernacular obviously way better than I do, but so I'm I'm really reducing it down to a layperson's terminology at best. But it means that if you know if you've got the depreciation recapture, yes, I understand it's at a lower rate, which I didn't know till I was talking to you two seconds ago. So that's phenomenal. I didn't know that. That's amazing. What a benefit. But for Furthermore, as long as I continue to acquire other like properties that are cost segregated, you know, I, I again, interminably have losses against those gains. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the incredible thing. And part of the, the reason why people are able to scale with real estate investing more than other types of investment is simply because those losses that are created and the ability to use those, like you said, perpetual losses each year to continue carrying those losses forward. And even if you have a sale and you have a, a capital gain or you have a recapture tax uh, moment, you may have another property that you've done consideration on in this current year and able to use those losses, not only to offset your income, but also those extra losses to, to offset those gains. Or those other taxes. And you said 99% of accountants, I don't remember exactly what you said, but the gist was like 99% of accountants don't really get this or something. I, there wasn't exactly. So what, why is that? Well, so 99% of accountants, what I said is they, they can't do it. They can't do cost segregation. Many who are real estate savvy will 
have uh, partners or you know third-party re- companies like Madison Specs that they will refer the business to, but because it requires an engineering component, according to the IRS, you know, they don't have it. Like I said, there are, you know, 1% of the top accounting firms in the country, they have engineers on staff that do cost segregation. So if you go to, you know, the big four, these large accounting firms, they'll do it in-house. But your ordinary um, CPA, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them don't even know what it is. Um, It is a kind of niche part of the tax code and very specific to real estate. So a lot of just kind of ordinary, regular business accounts or whatever, won't even know what it is. There is a percentage of them that will know what it is, but can't do it. So they may uh, refer. But in my experience, there's a big difference between an accountant and a tax advisor. And most people who, um, you know, have to have an accountant doing their taxes is really just punching numbers. They're, they're just plugging in numbers. They're not necessarily telling you being proactive about all the different advantages and all the different things that you can do outside of their wheelhouse. So that's why I said 99% can't do it. There's a large percentage that even if they can't do it, they don't even know about it or they may not be proactive enough to tell you about it. So it's important to continue to educate yourself right, by listening to podcasts like this, et cetera. So you can know how to you know, take care of your own. Uh, your, I mean, in the end of the day, it's your own finances. How, how long has the, the government permitted cost segregation is this something that's been forever or is this fairly recent and 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 within that have there been favorable changes in in recent past and let's call it five ten years or is there a perpetually moving target or what's it like yeah it's been around i mean depreciation has been around forever but um conservation in the current form has been around really since um the 80s, so about 40 years or so. And it's actually gotten better and better as time has gone gone on. And and part of the different um, uh, court appeals and things like that that have happened over time have allowed for more assets and more things within a property to be depreciated, um, to be found as depreciating at faster rates. Uh, For example, it used to be just like movable personal property could be depreciated on a five-year schedule. But uh, then we found, you know, certain things like flooring, which essentially is attached to the ground. But if it's, if it can be moved, then it can be treated as five-year, you know, personal movable property and things like that. However, the most recent uh, big tax change came in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act a few years ago uh, that they introduced something called 100% bonus depreciation. I think it's something you referenced earlier, which is allowing you, once you've done a cost segregation study, instead of taking that property and depreciating certain assets, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30% of the property over a five-year schedule, over a 15-year schedule, you're now able to take 100% of that faster depreciation in the first year. So instead of taking, you know, 20% of your property of of those depreciation deductions in a lump sum over a five-year period, which is great, right? Let's say you have a million-dollar property and you get to take, you know, 20% of $200,000 of that uh, depreciation over a five-year period as opposed to, you know, a small $20,000 or $30,000 regular deduction each year. You're doubling, tripling your depreciation with cost segregation. Well, comes bonus depreciation. And the tax law says you actually have the option to take that entire 200000 in the first year. And I think that's what uh, you referenced, that you had these huge K-1 losses, meaning these huge amount of, <laughs> of losses that are spread to each investor because of that bonus depreciation. So do you think, and, and I think that that was uh, incorporated during the Trump administration. And, and so I guess my question is, 
Do you think that's something that could be turned around and regulated in the other direction? It's something that could be. Um, when it was put into the books, it was already put into the books uh, so that it would phase out over time, which means that currently the 100% bonus depreciation is active for the next couple of years. But in 2023, it's going to go down to 80% and then start phasing out 20% each year. So then it'll be 60%, 40%, 20% bonus. You can still take the cost segregation, but taking that bonus depreciation, it's going to start phasing out already. So the fact that that's in the books as such right now, I'm not sure that there's going to be any, you know, addition to uh, to kind of wiping that out in the near future. And potentially it may even be reinstituted. Who knows what's going to happen in a few years from now, if there's going to be another tax reform and they may actually reintroduce it to, you know, push it back up to 100%, especially if there's enough lobbying and there's enough reasons to do that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why real estate is an industry that really affects everyone. Um, it, it really is. It's a huge industry. And whether you like it or not, the majority of Congress and um, Congress and Senate—I mean, really governmental people—own real estate, invest in real estate, and so you know whether you like it or not, they're not really in the interest of having that um, be turned away. <laughs> That's funny. Another thing—I'm just laughing. This is not really related, but about how they're. The, the threshold seems to be $10 million in hires where they want to extrapolate wealth tax and things like this. I'm just pulling that out as a, as a, a random example. And, and I think to myself, that's because most of these politicians are, you know, have that amount of what net worth. I mean, Elizabeth right. Warren's <laughs> net worth, Joe Biden's net worth is about $10 million bucks. Bernie Sanders to boot you know, after he wrote his book. And so I'm just kind of think, think it's just so funny how people are so self-serving. It's just hilarious. Well, that's, that's all. I mean, so, so that is a very interesting thing and it, it makes a ton of sense. What else do my listeners need to know? I mean, it seems fairly cut and dry. I mean, inevitably there's nuances and details that, you know, on a case by case basis, but what else is involved, uh, you know, along along the way? Yeah, it is pretty, like you said, it is pretty cut and dry. There's not so much to it. I think the first step is education, right? Knowing that certain strategies exist like this. The second step is really kind of discussing it with your accountant, making sure that they're on board and they, they understand and can apply this. The great thing about what we do, it's basically hands-off for the accountant. I mean, we're not an accounting firm, so no, we're not trying to step on anyone's toes. We're just there to you know provide this extra support uh, doing this incredible strategy, this this study. It's a pretty hands-off process as well. We always run a free analysis for anyone, which will allow you to see upfront, even before you decide whether this is for you or not, to see what the potential tax benefits would be if I did a conservation study. And so we'll do that. We'll run that on any property and really anyone who owns any property whatsoever. I mean, it can be even on single families. There's obviously a threshold that it starts making more sense than others. Um, the larger the property, obviously, the more tax benefits there are because it is a percentage uh, base. But we'll run that free study. And then to do the actual report itself, it's a you know one-time flat fee. It's not contingent on tax savings, usually around, I don't know, four or five, six thousand dollars, not not a tremendous amount. And the tax savings are uh, incredible. I mean, for a million dollar property, you're looking at a minimum of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of tax benefit usually. To go back to to something, just to, to be Mr. Obvious here on the recapture. So let's say that I take I get a fifty thousand dollar loss 
and um, my federal tax rate, I'll just say, is 39%. Let's just say, and it looks like it might be heading in that direction for top earners. And, and are you saying that then when I recap the recapture on that 50 grand only then gets taxed at 25%? Is, is my understanding correct? Yeah, I mean, th- there is uh, there are other factors to be involved uh, there, but simply put, there's the main amount of depreciation is going to be uh, taxed on the recapture at twenty five percent, and and that's a federal number, correct? Correct, federal. There are different rules when it comes to states. In fact, there are some states that don't recognize the one hundred percent bonus depreciation. California is one of those states. Um, so on the federal level, you can take bonus depreciation. Um, on the state level, every state recognizes depreciation, obviously, and cost segregation, but the 100% bonus depreciation, you're going to just want to make sure that you are uh, you know, fully aware that some of it may not trickle down the same same calculation that it will on uh, on the state level. Got it. I understand. Well, you know what? It's been a fairly short conversation. Um, I guess the other, the only question I have this is, so you do business development, and so what does that entail? So are you trying to get in retail investors, or are you trying to align with uh, accountants, or you know, what? What is your job? So me specifically, I'm you know working on you know client outreach. Um, I spend a lot of my time doing webinars and just teaching people, uh, whether it's podcasts like this or just kind of educating people. Uh, investors, uh, business owners, accountants, and uh, you know, property owners—really, just anyone and everyone who who could benefit from this service. And we are, like I said, the largest national company that focuses specifically on this. So we're working in all fifty states, and I'm just you know putting myself out there to be able to you know, service more people. I understand, and, and the company is Madison Specs. So, Yona, if someone were to uh, want to get a hold of you and, and, and maybe engage in a conversation, and you know, maybe uh, accelerate their learning curve, how how would they do that? The best way is to uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's I'm really active over there. You can also go to yonaweiss.com. That's my personal website uh, that'll direct you to Madison Specs, or you can just send me an email at yweiss at madisonspecs.com. And for those of uh, newer Testament people, Yona is spelled Y-O-N-A-H. Right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yona, thank you very, very much and uh, a pleasure to be acquainted. I, I learned a lot. So I, I think this is fantastic. And I'm sure my listeners, if they're anything like me, they've learned a thing or two as well. And so I, I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you uh, for having me, Roger. It's been a pleasure. Yep. And I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> 